Kiss me, fat boy. 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 Warning: The following podcast contains explicit themes and language. It can also chain, contain things that are triggering for some folks, so please proceed with caution. Not intended for sensitive or younger audiences. This is a Stephen King fan club. We're not a book club, but we're fans. So we're not affiliated with him on any level or any way or the various entities that release his works on various platforms and the views expressed by those in the podcast are only opinions and not necessarily those of the hosts or the sponsors. Spoiler warning, this podcast contains tons of spoilers for the name work of this podcast, but it also contains cross-references as Stephen King works tend to be uh, connected throughout his uh, self-created universe, so you've been warned. Also, a little housekeeping uh, we are on TikTok and we are on Twitter, and um, we are unavailable on all platforms. So please share, and if you have any questions or comments, please email us at kissmefatboypodcast at gmail.com. And uh, let's get rock and rolling on today's podcast. So today I am doing Serena here by myself again. I'm doing A Good Marriage, which was another one of those um, short novellas that I was able to um, rent, or not rent, was the word, borrow from the library. Um, they had it on old CD format, so I got to uh, listen to it when I was commuting to work. Because I actually have a CD player in my car. Yay, me. It's a novella, and it was uh, written, I think it was written in 2000, well, it was published in 2010. Um, in, in the collection, Full Dark, No Stars. So we'll probably see that again. But I'm going to go ahead and cover it because I don't want to get so far down the road that I, you know, don't remember what I saw and read and everything and my impressions. Now there is a, I think, I know there's something on TV. I do not know which format it is, but I want to say it's Max. Uh, I think I saw it on Max, but it could also be Peacock. So, I'll have to, but I'm going to watch it, and I'll get back to you guys and report on it. But uh, anyway, today we're dealing with the novella first, okay? So, I don't know how many pages it was. It was only like three hours listening to it, I believe, three hours or so. Oh, it's a film. Uh, Joan Allen plays the lead. I hadn't done this yet, so I just wanted to look. Let's see. I don't know who that says. It doesn't say Anthony LaPagia. Stephen Lang were in the cast. I'll look that up another time. I'm just here trying to focus on the um, the actual novella. Okay, so I um, my first impression of this was it was interesting. The female, I listened to these books, and the female narrating it did a good job. I thought she had a good voice. Um, I was really there with her, and I was present. And when I started listening to it, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I, the cover showed blood splattered, so I didn't know what to expect. Um, I try not to overly prep because I want to be truly surprised. So what I did was um, I listened to it and 
I started getting in the story, and quickly you find out about this, too. So, um, Darcy Anderson has been married for 27 years um, to Bob. Now, Bob's just a regular guy. He's he's an accountant for Portland, Maine. He also has this weird side gig of of rare coins, and it's like a treasure hunt for him. I don't think he makes too much money off of it. But it is something that's kind of just fun because he doesn't even, he has to acquire them a certain way. For example, he could, yes, he could buy a certain coin from Guy and have that coin and sell it. But it's more exciting to him if he was to, like, for example, get change for a dollar and boom, there's the coin, you know, this rare coin from, you know, rare, I mean, like, who accidentally spends these rare coins. And, you know, these things still happen. Um, but I don't know how much free, how much the frequency has increased because I guess people are now finding my mom people's uh, mason jar or not mason jar like big gallon like a whiskey gallon jug thing full of coins and taking them to Coinstar and maybe every once in a while these will come out but for the most part um, I don't know if the banks just move them around or if they get snatched up if they weigh differently because. Um, they, you know, coins are different. I don't, you know, they do them differently every year. And things like weight and um, errors or all kinds of things that make them rare. So, anyway. She, uh, it starts out where she's having an ordinary day. They have a, um, they have two kids, a boy and a girl. And they're off on their, you know, they're grown. I think one's in college. And, um, it. I'm not sure about the other one. I think there's a boy and a girl. So anyway, she um, is home alone. He's on one of his various business trips, uh, you know, with him being an accountant. I'm not sure <clears throat> the nature of him traveling or if it was, you know, I think he was away for coins. But I'm not 100% sure because it turns out he, what he's really away for is his other job, which is murder. A good job. Mr. Gray loved murder and bacon sandwiches, so um, he would approve of, of uh, Bob Anderson's job. <laughs> All right, I shouldn't make a lot of it. It's just kind of funny because it reminds me of those um, I didn't know I married a monster or sleeping with the devil things that they show on like Wee TV or on the Discovery Network. Um, all these like country fried murders, these, these things just crack me up. So it's very much like a snapped. That's another one that's good, but usually that's the girl being bad. Um, okay, so anyway, so Darcy is going into the garage to search for batteries. And when she goes through uh, rummages and see, you know how you just look through things. And um, I think he's a pretty good neat freak, so the garage is just nice and pristine. And it's kind of his area. There's some storage in there, but that's pretty much his place. Where he puts things, you know, men, he, some men like to put it on the garage, okay? And um, she finds a um, extreme magazine, pornographic, um, but it's, it's set of masochist. And, of course, you know, she, she images in it, and she's very disturbed by this. So she doesn't think anything, like, literally, she knows these are fake images. She knows that... These are not really, you know, the, that she knows these are models and these things are created and this is art. 
Um, in some people's eyes, she knows that it's not like they're really torturing these women. But anyway, it freaks her out nonetheless because, you know, they have a very uh, vanilla marriage and they've been together for such a long time, you think you know everything about a person. So she can't stop thinking about it. And um, she starts looking through, just kind of looking through other stuff in, in his kind of his corner storage. Well, she finds this little secret compartment behind the uh, garage's baseboard. And um, in that little secret compartment, little hidey hole he has, she finds a little box that contains um, some, like the driver's license of a lady named Marjorie Duvall. And she's a victim of this well-known un uncaught serial killer named Beatty. B-E-A-D-I-E. -E. It took me a long time to figure out what she, they were saying. Uh, it can't sound like Beatty, like Beatty, B-E-A-T-T-Y, or um, it just, I didn't know, or B-D. And I think it's coming from that B-D. I think it's like, you know, referencing one of these famous killers, you know. But anyway, she uh, finds this box, and I think it has... I think it has like a library card, maybe an insurance card, social security card, and anyway, it just has her possessions in there. And she freaks out and she puts them back, but she's so upset she doesn't remember what order they were put in. But she puts them back nonetheless, and she's like, say, she remembers seeing the coverage on television about the lost girl and how um, I think they found her remains. And, or they're still looking for her remains. But for some reason, they know she is one of the victims, or she's suspected to be a victim. I don't know if it's because she had a, he had a type or not. Um, he did have a type, but I don't know if they had connected that or not. But she obviously, they had somehow connected it to the serial killer, Beatty. And Beatty was, uh, he, his trademark was to leave um, their driver's license or something like that on them with a, with a note. He leaves it somewhere with a note talking about why he did it and everything. Okay, so she is completely undone and freaking out. She's crying and freaking out. Well, he had called her and she just couldn't answer. And then she knows if she does it, if she calls him, if when he calls back later, she knows that if she doesn't, if he hears it and her voice is going to be suspicious and she's terrified because she's like, okay, my husband's a killer. I um, see these images, put these two and two together, and I'm freaked out. And she also, I think, connects the dots of this person lived here. This is when he was on this business trip to look at these rare corns or whatever. So finally he gets her on the phone because she knows the next time he calls she has to answer. And he senses her, you know, that she's upset. He's like, keeps pressing, and she's just like, oh, I'm just upset because I think she says something on the lines of, I'm just upset because my daughter's getting married or something crazy, something she just kind of made up. Well, he knows something's up, so he comes home sooner, you know. Well, she goes online and looks up all the stuff she's doing her little research on her computer and 
So she creates a map of all the BD killings and knowing the schedule as a mother would or a husband or a wife would know for each other partners. You don't have to be, uh, you know, traditional. When you're living with somebody and you're in a relationship with them, partner, whatever you want to call them, you for 27 years, you should probably know them by, by now. So she remembers, oh, he did this, he did that. She was checking her calendar. She is just completely freaked out. Well, she ends up also realizing that, that he had killed a little boy. And he had wrote in a letter that the little boy came home when I was doing that. He was just... Uh, he was just a, like kind of an, an unfortunate consequence. He didn't suffer, okay? I want y'all to remember this. He didn't suffer, the little boy, because he was doing stuff to his mom. The boy came home from school. Okay. Well, Bob knows something's up. He shows up at home earlier than he's supposed to. And of course, him being Mr. Serial, serial Killer McGullicully, he, he's smart. And he thinks he's smarter than everyone. Well, um... <clears throat> Darcy is just shocked that he figured it out in like three seconds. He told her, you know, good try. I found you a misplaced library card or something like that. Or the is that the cards are out of order. Um, I saw you, you know, so I know you found my hidey hole. hole and I also know that um, I checked your computer, so I saw where you... We did anything, so he just conf- he's like, "This is so wonderful." This was not the reaction, by the way. She was she was expecting. She's just like, I think he's gonna come home and kill her. She also was thinking of the children, like if she called the cops and turned them in, her her child was about to get married. I believe that was what it was, and her son had just started had just um, daughter was about to get married. And if I'm wrong on this, I apologize. But for sure, the son was just about to start a new business because he got a loan and some kind of business loan with a friend. And he and she she just knew that the public disgrace of having your dad be this horrible serial killer would ruin their lives. People would harass them and it would destroy his chances of his uh, new budding business. So she just couldn't make a quick decision. She was thinking of her kids. Which, I understand that. People shouldn't be too hard on people who think stuff like that. Um, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but I understand you've got to think about it. She barely had any time to process because Bob comes home early. And he's like, I'm so glad this is out of the, out of the uh, cat's out of the bag now because we could just come to an arrangement. You know, I love you and there's nothing wrong. I just do this. So he begins to explain to her. The whole thing. And his version of why this whole thing happened was that when he was young, he had a friend named Brian Delhanty, And his nickname was BD. Like the initials B and D. And his friend and he, when they were younger, I think they were in um, maybe middle school or high school, they had decided that he they were going to like go and shoot up shoot up a place they had kind of like this idea of shooting up the school so they planned this elaborate uh, school shooting and um, Bob claims that he thought it was just a fantasy that they were doing it but then he realized that it is actually 
something else inside of him after Beatty dies I think in a car wreck and so he thinks that this Beatty which becomes Beatty which so, this is all confusing I know he changes the name a little bit from the the acronym or the initials to a spell out of it, like a phonic spell out of it. So that's, but he basically says to his wife, he put the germ inside of me, and it and I, it, it's contagious and it grew, but he is also still talking to me uh, since his death, and he's told me what to do. So it's not me that's doing it; it's him. He's taking over me. He's possessing me, and he has to be fed, and. Of course, he tries to, you know, explain everything away and say, and by the way, all these women uh, were a certain way. I think they had a, he did have a physical type, but it was always a woman, and the woman was being a slut and uh, rubbing her boobs upon him in his perception. None of that happened. But he just said that, you know, she come in wearing the short skirt and she was asking for it. And how dare she? She sees the ring on my finger. So I had to teach her a lesson. And that lesson was that Beatty got a hold of her and he did things to her because she ought to not act that way because she's not a good, respectable woman. So he's, you know, not all, he's like slut shaming. But the irony is that they're not even doing things. It There is his perception that everyone's a slut. But the women are dressed pro- they're dressed normal, dressed proper. Even though that's not an excuse to ever do that, but I'm just saying he's so his perception is so warped that he, someone's as high thinks they're hitting on him. And the waitress is like, "Can I take your order?" And she's lis- listening, and he thinks, you know, she's leaning in to show me her cleavage. Just things that are not happening. Okay, I just want to stress that that this is all, you know, delusional and crazy as it is. Well, he um is so glad so he said you know what now that I know that you know I'll stop and what I want you to hold me accountable and uh, I'm not going to do it no more and if I do it you you could kill me I think he said and they she says okay she doesn't like it but she and he t- he reminds her the kids the kids so she reluctantly agrees to it. She says, um, okay, but you're not going to be allowed to have another um, public moment by taking those girls, mailing those girls' ID packet to the police or the newspapers or whatever and tell them about your killing. Like, this is just over. You're going to take those and throw them out in the woods or destroy them, make them look like they're lost, and he just agrees. And so he does that. Basically, she just can't believe it. So they go by a few months, and they, you know, they made this agreement. I think he buried the ID cards deep in the woods and somewhere else, you know, and that could not be, you know, attached to him or connected to him in any way. And he's just like, great, this is this is awesome. Well, she decides that even though he says he's over, she knows it's only a matter of time before he does it again. She obviously knows that this whole alter ego of BD made me do it is, is bullshit. And she's completely grossed out and upset by him, but she has to 
basically become the best actress in the whole universe and fool him into compliance of, you know, oh, this is fine, everything's fine, because he's really smart, and he knows her, like, the irony, she doesn't know him after 27 years, but he knows her, and he can tell if she's faking it, so she just keeps a mantra in her head, she keeps reminding herself, this is, you know, this is the way it is, but she decides she's got to get rid of him. So, she finds her moment, it's, and she had been thinking she's going to do it, but she didn't have like an exact, she wasn't building up this big plan in her head because she had to be opportunistic. Kind of ironically how serial killers, they are opportunistic when they grab their victims. They might have a type, but it's very rare that um, they stalk the person and go after them like over a long period of time. Some of them have done that, but like a lot of them are just like, I have this type, you you know, I was at the diner, I saw this girl, she fits the profile, something about her, or she wanted me to choose her, and I just grabbed her because she was out in the parking lot needing a ride, and I told her I could give her a ride, that kind of stuff. So, in the same way, she has to be opportunistic. When something comes up, she knows she's going to make her move, but she has no plan ahead of time. Well, it comes up that he finds a super rare 1955 double die scent and he's just so excited because it was found versus like i said earlier a found coin and change is like so much more of a treasure hunt victory to him than just like buying it even if it is authentic so she ends up saying well fine you know let's celebrate this is a new start so she um, I go, they go out to celebrate. Uh, she gets Bob drunk on champagne, and he never drinks. He's a super control freak, but he's let his guard down, so this is good for her. So she comes up with a very quick plan to murder him. <laughs> it's like on the fly. Like I said, it was, it was a crime of opportunity, even though it was in her mind no time. Um, so she asks him when they get home from their their dinner and he's he's real tipsy and she asked, she basically was like all right baby let's go on let's go upstairs have some fun and, and it would be the first time since all this happened and uh he's excited uh so she says okay i'm gonna go get uh more comfortable or freshen up whatever they say and you bring me up a perrier and come on back up baby and they live on a two-story, and their bedroom's upstairs. So she goes up, and she is waiting for him. So when he comes up the stairs, and he's drunk, she pushes him down the stairs, and he rolls, um, and he breaks his arm, his neck, and his back. And he's still alive, and he's like, help me, honey, I've fallen. And then he starts saying, did you push me? He's just kind of out of it. So she grabs a plastic bag and she suffocates him because uh, he's all messed up, you know, and a dishcloth. So she uses a dishcloth and a plastic bag over his face. Um, the reason that she she just did this on the fly and she, you know, and the one thing was that when he was telling her the story about this is what happened, he said, you know, even this 
retired detective came to me and he was bragging about it, saying, uh, asking me questions, and I actually was a witness for him. He just he said they'd never catch me. I was a witness trying to figure out what they were doing. They they didn't even realize I was the one who did it. They just thought I was some random person who just you know knew saw her walking down the street because they interviewed everybody. I fooled that guy. Anyway, just so remember that. <laughs> so uh, he's gone, and she calls the. You know, she removes the bag and the clo- and the uh, washcloth, and she cleans up the scene. And she comes, starts getting tore up and getting her voice ready. She calls nine one one and says, I-, "I think he, my husband's not breathing. He was drunk. He came up the stairs and he fell." So nobody even thinks anything of it. Of course, they don't know he's this evil serial killer. They just think it was an accident. And one of the cops who comes over is her best friend's husband and he's like hey you come spend the night with us i know you're tore up and upset so she has to play along with that but then she goes back home and she buries him the children are sad but they move on they have their lives and she thinks it's over but uh that retired detective named holt ramsey he's the one that had visited bob that bob bragged about fooling and being such an idiot he uh visits her and he knows who he was and he knows in her eyes by looking at her eyes he says her reaction he can just tell that she knew what was up but it kind of comes out that she basically lets him know that she killed him and he decides to let it go he had figured out that Bob was a killer because of his, his suburban was seen the vicinity of each of each victim. Well, she had sold that off after he died, and he couldn't obviously search or anything. But he had him pegged, and he was kind of just uh, trying to help out the families and everything. He was retired, and he just wanted to help. He tells her, like I said, he says, you did the right thing and leaves. But right before he leaves, he says, by the way, they never put it in the papers, but he did think he tortured that child. He said it was a quick and easy death, but it wasn't. And he, he did something horrible that I will not repeat on this podcast to that child. That showed that he was just an unbelievably horrible monster. So that's why he said, good, good for you. And he lets her off the hook I mean he just moves on He's he got closure and he says you know what the families it's not going to bring their bodies their, their, their family members back from the dead if I say yeah it was him but now he's dead he can't go to prison so there's no point and so he leaves and that's the end of the story supposedly Dennis Rader the famous BTK killer which is what I was obviously assuming because it's BD, BTK was the inspiration for this character. But, um, you know, everybody knows that story, so we're not going to talk about that. This is not what that's about. And so it's the parallels that she was basically married to him. I had no idea all those years. 34 years they were married, his, his, the, his wife in real life story. No clue. And I do believe 100% that you can live with somebody and they have a secret life. I know this, it sounds crazy, because you think something would slip, 
But these people are not normal. They have no conscience. So they're not going to feel bad. So why would they even act weird when they don't feel bad? I've heard people say that people who without this conscience, with this antisocial personality disorder that's the profile of these types of people, um, they don't have a concept of they never feel bad. They never feel embarrassed. And a lot of times, because a lot of emotions are attached to memories, a lot of them cannot remember things, normal things, everyday things. The only things they can remember and experience with some kind of version of pleasure are these weird, horrible things that they do that break the routine. And so killing people, it's just they made the decision to do it. So they did it. And... Uh, you know, it breaks the monotony and makes them calm, almost feel something possibly. Um, it's been scientifically proven that many times over that a person with that kind of um, profile is their chemistry of their brain is just different. And uh, so I just think that people like that are so easy to lie and hide things because they know they did it, but they don't remember a lot of other things so they're just kind of in the moment and they can act the way they need to act to get through and they can mask uh this this mask of normality and i mean that in a metaphorical term i'm not saying that i know people use that term for other things like autism i'm not saying that i'm just saying that like they put on this like i'm just using a metaphor like they put on this like nice guy mask that's what i mean anyway so yeah this is interesting. Uh, it was very interesting. It reminded me of those true crime things. I'm not a big true crime lady, but I think that uh, our friends, the Malice After Mid Midnight podcast, you should check them out. They're, they're friends of this podcast, and they talk about um, serial killers, and they do it in a respectful way, so that's not gross or weird. So I think you should check them out. They're on all platforms. And I think you can follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and what's the other one? TikTok. So check them out. And um, for your, if you love this kind of book, then I would definitely say read the the book. It's interesting. It, it flowed quickly. It didn't drag out. And I'm going to check out the movie and uh, report back on that. And please, guys, share this podcast with your friends and family. Please, let's build this up. We're about to start releasing merchandise soon. And also, I'm working at, I am a writer. Um, I'm, I'm an attorney by day and writer by midnight, if you know what I mean. So um, I'm working on another podcast uh, called No One Wants to Read My Book. And it's just my self-published and unpublished works that I'm just going through in my journey for that and it's basically like listening to a free audible or free audiobook as I'm reading the book okay so please check those things out um, that is on that is under my profile on TikTok is author Serena Vinci okay V-I-N-C-I like Leonardo so if you want to follow me there check it out the email for that is no one wants to read my book podcast at gmail.com if you're interested in more information but yeah, we're gonna have merchandise coming out with Kiss Me Fat Boy. I'm so excited. We're gonna do some fun things, and I just want to build this podcast for anyone who loves to read. Reading is my escape from reality, and my reality is not that bad personally. I'm just saying that, you know, it's just my way of having 
a way to decompress, and Stephen King books are for me. But I also read other things, and if you check out my other TikTok profile, you will see the author, Serena Vinci, will show the other books that she likes to read if you're interested in more of a um, well-rounded experience you can follow both of those profiles and i think that's pretty much it guys um you guys take care and i appreciate your listening to my podcast and um, as a person who's met serial killers plural in my line of work i didn't defend them personally but i've met plenty and helped some friends work on their cases i would say that if you've ever met a serial killer and you're still alive you should be very happy Because those people are serious business and they're not fun to be around. And every one of them is different. So don't think you got them pegged. Don't think you can figure them out. Half the time they don't even know what they're going to do until like the minute they decide to do it. It's just a very different brain chemistry, okay? Stay safe. And you guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Hey guys, I'm so excited to announce that I finally got my uh, crapola together and I'm starting to do my other podcast, which is called No One Wants to Read My Book. This will be me reading basically one of my unpublished or self-published books. So check it out and see why no one wants to read my books, okay? Thanks, bye. Hey guys, I'm so excited to announce that I finally got my uh, crapola together and I'm starting to do my other podcast, which is called No One Wants to Read My Book. This will be me reading basically one of my unpublished or self-published books. So check it out and see why no one wants to read my books, okay? Thanks, bye.